Welcome to Crab Bag. On today's episode, we're talking small farming and the loss of Chris Blanchard and his Farmer to Farmer podcast. Welcome, grab your coffee, have a seat. This is Crab Bag. Thank you for joining and listening. I know millennials and old people alike love podcasts, and I'm glad to be doing the grab bag. And I'm actually in bed, and I'm going to go under the covers while I talk. So, Chris Blanchard was a small farmer who... uh, Worked for about 15 years until um, quitting due to irreconcilable differences. Is that how you say it? And he started the Farmer to Farmer podcast. And unfortunately, he passed away of cancer two years ago. And his podcast was a light for small farmers. And he talked about everyone... And interviewed just about everyone from white people in the Midwest to Mexicans running their own farm to a lesbian couple in Detroit. And um, tackled all the nerdy issues and all the really um, uh, profitable um, markets and was just a really great resource and I always would turn on his podcast when I was farming in the greenhouse um, or whatever I was doing outside and I ended up getting injured and having to kind of walk away from farming myself and just as I was kind of at the last leg of it in the last farming job I, I found I went to go listen to Farmer to Farmer you know, holding on to that thread, and then I realized he had passed away of cancer. And, um, so this episode is dedicated to him, and it's dedicated to what he did and how he helped small farmers. And, uh, yeah. A quick background of myself. I'm coming from a shorter stint of farming, um, I began as an intern, and then I ended up running my own farm. And um, I actually got injured uh, harvesting Christmas trees as a side job in Western North Carolina, where that industry is very—I um, can't say profitable, but I will say prevalent. Um, and it is highly focused, or it is um, a migrant uh, type type work, everyone that I worked with were mostly Latino, and so I injured my back that way, it's a very um, intense job, and a lot of times these uh, migrant um, people that are coming from Mexico are living in camps in and around these job sites, which I also was able to see with the union organizer after I quit after my injury, and then um, inevitably I also stopped 
or quit my business, my small farm, and walked away with no profit and really nothing to show for. And um, and since that time, after I quit, I were I've worked on a dairy farm, I've worked on an urban farm, um, I've worked on another small farm, and um, they've all been sort of short stints, but. It was kind of after, after my injury, it was, uh, um, you know, holding on when I was, you know, really letting go or should be letting go of such intense labor work. And any, in any case, um, small farming came into my life as a way of, uh, healing and also getting closer to nature as well as something that I've always been very interested in and had and always had a love for it and his Chris Blanchard's podcasts were and are still up they're still online you can still listen to them um extremely informative about owning a piece of property or finding ways to own a piece of property, or renting, or whatever, and how to make it profitable, and how to make it work, because so many farmers get into it, and they jump right into it, and either they do too much, or they, um, you know, it just tanks for whatever reason, so a lot of his podcasts are interviewing farmers that are very successful, and instead of being competitive and hiding and keeping secrets around what made them successful, it's farmers coming forward and being like, this is what's working, and this is what I'm doing. Anywhere from CSAs to um, just uh, diversified crops to I'm only growing this crop to I'm growing um, ranunculus flowers in Detroit as in a very specific example. And in any case, um, the farming that I did as a business was more diversified and more to market, and I also created a small CSA for restaurant industry workers, which proved to be successful. Um, there's a million reasons why my farm tanked, and um, the number one reason is taking on too much. And I think that's a problem for a lot of small farms. You get into it or you've been doing it for a while. It's extremely hard work. And as an artist, it's very relatable because even as an artist, you can take on too much and farming is very similar in that way of you know where your focus needs to be and um so now in my you know coming out of farming I'm able to kind of have more of a balance because it is all consuming and it doesn't leave time for anything else and thus so in your business you really have to be dedicated and you really have to go in expecting 
not to make a lot of money at first and kind of really stick to um, a sort of simple plan. And that's something Chris Blanchard reiterated over and over again, was kind of sticking to um, a sort of... Or he reiterated by interviewing farmers who kept saying the same thing over and over again, really keeping to a simplified... um, way of thinking about it like a step-by-step instead of kind of rushing and wanting to do everything and wanting to grow every crop and wanting to, you know, have all the color. And so something that I've just been really interested in talking about recently is mixing permaculture with profitable, um... Small, being profitable with using permaculture. After leaving farming, I kind of zoomed out, you know, because farming really is when you're in it and your your hands are in the dirt and that's really all that's going on in the world, you know, like I have to process this many chickens, I have to harvest this amount of crop, I have to do this, you know, thing today and, and get it done. And it really also brings you, like, literally right down to earth and then so when I came when I came out of it I kind of zoomed out and kind of looked at agriculture from this like very large perspective but not like as like you know a Monsanto uh warlord you know but as like somebody who's like still very interested in agriculture and still finds it to be a pressing issue and a lot of people don't think about it and we don't think about where our food comes from and we don't think about who's handling it and who's harvesting it. And um, so it's just something that's always has stuck with me and still is with me. And I zoomed out and I started thinking about um, growing sustainably in large efforts and looking at the Netherlands and looking at growing indoors without pesticides and growing at a large scale and using drones and all this kind of technology to kind of step away from the abuse of people. And um, funny enough, I was outside the Guggenheim and they had an installation of tomatoes and they had a, they have a, like a large tractor outside and it's just sitting there. It's a huge tractor. And inside are all these tomato plants and, you know, you know, and not needing a tractor at all and not even needing soil, growing it in, needing soil, but not even like that much soil, like growing it in these small pea pots. So just thinking about agriculture in a different way. And I guess it was allowing me to kind of walk away in a sense, but also think about it in a new way. And in a in a way where I found so many kind of uh, working alongside migrant workers and working with uh, people that do that work, um, it's really disgusting. <laughs> and the injury that I have now is permanent, and or at this time it feels permanent. So I'm kind of looking at how to kind of 
branch away from abusive people and terrible working conditions. And largely coming out of that was thinking about not using people at all <laughs> and using machines that may that uh, may not even use oil or gas and building infrastructure that's sustainable and indoors and not using pesticides and not even um, because small farming is so micro and so and so in love with bettering the soil and then you think about not barely using soil at all so in a way it is these extremes but they are both united in a way of caring for the earth and feeding people there's billions of people on this planet and you know there's there's just there's just no way that everybody can do their jobs and that a bunch of small farmers are going to feed everybody. And as a small farmer or someone who, you know, as an ex-small farmer, it's just that's how where I stand on that issue. We can't feed people in hospitals. We can't feed people in schools all through small farming. And... We can't keep destroying the earth, and so this is this is the balance of it. And I think that was something I was really concerned of while I was walking away because when while small while farming, I felt very in tune with who I am as a person, and it makes sense for me because it's care it cares for people, it cares for the planet, and it cares for the whole the whole cyclical nature of it and um yeah i think there can be more i think there should be more small farms i think there should be more people shopping at farmers markets i think there should be more donated produce from these small farms because there's still waste to organizations, food pantries, local schools. And I think that those that can and should be shopping or supporting CSAs should be. You have a large family, you live in the country, or your small farm 20 miles outside of the city delivers to, or whatever, more than 20 miles, but delivers to the city, you should be you know, purchasing a CSA. And um, and looking into their value-added products, it's not just vegetables, it's not just um, you know ch you know chicken. So in any case, um, that's how when I exited, that's where I, my mind went with it. It's like this teetering of. The way, because I, the way I was viewing the world was so zoomed in and so day to day, and so you know, tomorrow I have to harvest this much amount of uh, dank corn, and I hope the tomatoes don't get blight, and this, in that kind of way of thinking, that it become, it is a livelihood and a way of life, and 
zooming out as a trans person and needing care and starting to think about and and now in and now injured and thinking about it all that's where where it led me and um while farming i did donate to uh look i donated winter eggs to a local food pantry that was right next door to a uh, trailer park who supposedly couldn't have gardens as a as a rule in their park and um and I also grew starts for um a local hospitality house which is a um it just uh they had a garden program and so we grew start or I grew starts for them and then so then the hospitality house is just like a general um care program within the town and um that wasn't even taking on too much that was a perfect amount of balance for me i find i found growing food it needed to have an element of because there is still waste and because it's food for me it needed to have that element of giving back and um and nourishing in that way and so that was the perfect balance where i took on too much as a small farmer was picking too many crops to grow not realizing realizing you're in such and such year and not your 10th year and realizing um you're not on your property you're on uh someone else's property and you're renting land down the street and that all factors in as a budget and what if and and then and then losing a whole crop because of disease and that and like tomatoes are such a a gold um when it comes to small farming because it's a product it's a vegetable or a fruit excuse me <laughs> it's a fruit that you can't get in even in your health food, health stores most health stores you can't get an heirloom tomato or you can't get uh a real nice slicer um and so you have to go to your farmers market so when it comes time you know depending on your zone or you know your climate for me when it, you know early june and you're you're getting those tomatoes in and you know that is the bread and butter that's what's going to push you through the whole season that's what's going to pay your employees or that's what's going to um get you a little bit of profit as your heirloom tomatoes because people are making an effort being like I usually don't go to the farmers market but we're going to go this weekend because you know the tomatoes are here <laughs> and i need my uh tomato sandwich this summer. And so that really trailed me off into thinking about um growing as a farmer specifically you know being a small farmer and only growing heirloom tomatoes, only growing fresh lettuce. These things that people specifically go to farmers markets for. I need to go to I need to go get arugula. I don't want 
to buy arugula and all this plastic and, and you know, it's sprayed or whatever and it's slimy and it's not fresh. And so I go to the farmer's market to only get my lettuce, to only get my arugula, to only get my tomatoes, that kind of thing. And thinking about a business in that way of uh, this is how I'm, this is, you know, I need to make money at this and this is where I'm going to make my money. And so not growing everything because you're just because, just because, you know, just because you're a small farm, you know, and you have the whole look and you know, you have everything and you have all the color. But instead growing like I grow this because this is what people consecutively always buy, no matter where you are, what city, whatever city you're outside of, whatever creed or color you are, whatever the creed or color people, you know, and vast majority outside or wherever, they're always going to buy fresh lettuce and tomatoes <laughs> and spring mix and salads, you know, and there's so much variety of that. You could literally just have a hydroponic lettuce farm or just to put a bunch of lettuce on lands- reusable landscape fabric and irrigate it, and it's so easy to harvest. It's a knife cut and put it in a crate, dunk it in a sink, and box it up and you know it's lightweight it's not heavy and you bring it to market and people buy it because they can't get it anywhere else and they can't get it like that anywhere else um and uh value added products is something i got into corn is one of the most abused vegetables we've abused the shit out of it it's in everything We've patented its seed. We've just destroyed it, and we've destroyed its name when it's really a native um, treasure in, here in the Americas, North America and South America, and we've just to- totally destroyed it, and it's it's a god, and, and we've really just beat it to shame, and um, I hope it doesn't come back to haunt us. But in any case, it's... So I started growing dent corn, which can be used as animal feed, and it's also used as cornmeal. And a friend had given me a hundred-year-old seed from North Carolina, and it was like it was called red, white, and blue, and and it was mixed colors. And when it grows, the cobs are mixed colors, and they're huge kernels. And what you do is you pluck them. They're usually about a foot long, and they're huge. You know this this seed was about a foot long, and you dry them out, and then um, you put them on a rack, and then you bang them in, uh, you bang them in, uh, you could bang them in like a fermenting crock or something like that, and you shake off all the seeds, and then you grind them up, and essentially what you have is this beautiful colored cornmeal that you can also feed to your chickens or you can feed whatever or you can package it real pretty and it usually probably turn out pink and you have pink um, masa essentially so I started doing thinking doing that and thinking about value-added products and things that that give a little bit of um, extra coin to your your farm which people let's use let's say you have a lettuce farm and you've got your 
you've been doing it for three years and you got lettuce farm and people know you and they love and you have returning customers and they always come to you for your salad and maybe around the three year mark you add cornmeal bagged you know get like little brown bag with clear and you got pink cornmeal and some (laughs) you got pink cornmeal and anyways, so you have this extra product. They know you. They love you. They trust you. They buy their salad from you. And then you have this beautiful cornmeal. And um, value-added products will really add extra um, cash sales to your small farm business. And um, so some other uh, ideas were or are um, heirloom pasta tomato sauce. So many of the tomatoes that you have, they get uh, injured or they get bug, um, they get riddled with bugs and you don't sell them or you sell them for less. Instead, you keep them and you get um, yourself certified kitchen. You can do this with your home kitchen. You just need somebody to come in and say, it looks good. And that's contacting your local office and they come in and they say, nothing's going to blow up and you don't have mice. And here's your certification. And then so you can also, if you're in a city and you're growing um, on land, like uh, a plot that you've rented or a community garden that's giving you access, you can look into what's called um, commissary kitchens. And I've found a few of these when I was in the south um, the commissary kitchens were open to a lot of young people who were trying to start up um, or were starting up food trucks. So it's just sharing the kitchen, and a lot of times it's here's the key and, and here's the schedule, and you just have to kind of arrange that way. So you could go in there and you know, 3 a.m. in the morning and take your bruised tomatoes and make heirloom pasta tomato sauce and I don't know if you ever had that but it's really good and people are going to splurge or people are going to be like I have the money to buy this and I'm going to buy the shit out of it and you label it really nice don't spend too much on labeling and but make it look nice and make it look profesh and you've got a really beautiful product that um, is yours to choose how much you charge for it And so looking into commissary kitchens like that or certifying a home kitchen really opens up the doors to pickling, uh, bread making, and all these other things that if you have a good hold on, even if that's all you're doing, if you're just growing tomatoes to make pasta sauce, if that's all you're doing, then, um, you know, the real focusing, really zooming in on that kind of um, work is uh, is going to open the door to you to make a quicker profit rather than growing everything and just saying, look at me, I'm a, I'm a farm, you know? You can be in the city and grow and raise it, you know, just if you're you're talking to your neighbors and you're talking to your local community gardens and you're talking about space and you're talking about um, land and you're talking about who's actually interested in farming and who actually wants to do it, if you're that person, if you're that guy or that girl or whatever, if you're that person, 
and you're and then you're the person to do it because so many people are not interested in doing it and so many and so if you are that person then make the step and talk to people and get that land and you can raise a flock of meat birds in the city and you can turn a profit and watch how many people uh poor or not if you get on EBT or whatever and and you accept EBT sales or you just watch people how many people are interested in buying fresh chicken and so the way to do that is really easy and um you start off with a small flock and um i one farm farm that i worked for they actually went and got a a um a mcdonald's banner a mcdonald's had closed down and so they went and bought this banner or got it for free most likely and they uh essentially what it is is like a moving hoop house and you use cattle panels on the side, frame it in with on the bottom with some wood, cattle panel on the side, and then you banner it over top to kind of keep hawks out of it. If you're in the city, you're probably looking at more like uh, predators, maybe being a raccoon. You're looking at so much less predators. You can really probably have these um, meat birds out in the open and easily um, on a, like a very small pasture. And uh, this is something that you can do holding another part-time job. You know, I have some meat birds across town that, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, keeping tend to. Anyway, so basically what it is is you they go in there at night, um, and it, it look it's just a moving, you can move it by hand. You make it really lightweight. And they go in there at night, and meat birds don't roost. And if and you're buying them from a reputable source, they are able to walk and eat from pasture. And um, you can get really creative about what you're feeding them, but more than likely you're going to need to get them on a starter feed and then uh, a grain. And that's your choice about how how you feed them and how much and how you're doing it. Because they're not just going to eat. They're not just going to eat grass, and there's not going to be enough bugs. Um, but there's all sort of creative ways that you can get into it and um, about supplementing feed and not having to buy as much feed for them, but getting them at the right weight at the right time. And anyways, when it comes to time for processing, and you can look up online all these different ways of housing them. Um, they are... Um, what are they called? It's called, uh, anyways, they look like hoop houses or caterpillar tunnels, but they're like moving caterpillar tunnels. They are chicken tractor. That's the farming term for them, chicken tractor. And there's also some cool versions that you can, um, add like bicycle wheels to them and lift them up to move them a little bit easier. Um... If you're working from the city and you want to do something like that, you can really um, probably just build a large permanent coop for them or a hoop a coop house. And so you can kind of rotate meat and egg birds or dual flock or whatever and get creative that way and have meat and, bird, meat and eggs. Anyway, when it comes time for processing, you're going to want, you're going to want a commissary kitchen you're definitely going to want a commissary kitchen. You're going to want a vacuum sealer. And you're going to want to buy a propane stove with a large boiling pot. 
and it's just boiling them, and you can YouTube this, and so just quick ideas, but you can boil, you boil the feathers off, you boil them for a couple minutes, and then, um, and then, you know, watch some videos on how to process a chicken, and it's really simple, and you use every part of the bird, dogs love chicken feet, people love chicken feet, I love chicken feet, if you boil chicken feet, in a pot of water, it's probably one of the most best or one of the better things for you, along with like bone broth or things like that. People eating or drinking collagen these days, same thing. Bunch of chicken feet. It's got all sorts of um, anti-cancer properties, and um, it's just really good for you. So use every part of the bird, and save those chicken feet, and put them on your website or your stand uh, for as you know for sale uh as dog treats or whatever or soup stock um when thinking about just land when it comes to city and farming um i i met somebody uh in Asheville North Carolina who is running a small farm but on different plots of land and um the the catch to it is that he's growing in people's backyards. So he's got a couple gar- community garden spots and then he's got um and then he's 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 done exactly what I was talking about I was talking to people in that way of making connections and then people being like, "Well, you can use my backyard." Which I just find really brilliant. And so he's growing turmeric in someone's backyard, and he's growing tomatoes in one person's backyard, and he's growing, uh, uh, he's just really utilizing the city dynamics. And then he's not even going to the farmer's market, um, he's going to like a yoga studio on Saturday morning. So people are coming out of yoga, and they're buying their their produce. Like he's going right to you know, people who probably want to eat healthy, etc. And he's, like, going right to them. And then he's got a whole online store. Um, and uh, so that, is, and you can check that. His website has Patchworks um, is the name of the farm. And um, so... That's thinking about working in the city and working in urban areas. The couple that Chris Blanchard, um, one of the episodes I really love, is a couple in Detroit that started growing ranunculus flowers. And they just were growing ranunculus, which is a tuber flower, which is like if you have a starfish, if you cut off a leg, it grows back. Tubers are like that, so you can like break off a piece of the tuber the way, you know, some different crops are like this. And then you they spread like that. So when you pull up at the end of the season, the flower, the bulb, they have um, sprouted a bunch of new tubers, they're called, and they're actually seed, they're just seeds. And so it's, and it's a very beautiful, um, it's not a, I guess I can't, it's not an annual and it's not a perennial. It, I guess it leans more towards a perennial. In any case, it's really beautiful and it's somewhere in between a tulip and a, 
yeah, I don't know, a tulip and maybe a, a daisy. I don't know. They're very beautiful. You have to look it up. And then, so they only were growing ranunculus in a community garden, or they had uh, purchased a um, a plot of land in the city in Detroit, and were just growing fresh flowers. And so, once you have a bunch of this seed, you can just keep making more seed. And so, that's a really great way to start a flower business. And if you want to grow flowers, then fucking grow flowers. And don't let anybody tell you, you know, that you're, because you want to get into farming, that you have to grow food. Grow flowers. It's beautiful. They're beautiful. And there's all sorts of terrible work conditions that come with um, flower farming as well. So if anybody tries to give you shit, well, I just would tell them to shut up and not even explain yourself. But grow <laughs> Flowers, if you want to grow flowers, they're really beautiful. And starting with ranunculus is a really great idea or any other kind of tuber selection because you're not having to spend a lot of startup money on seed. And um, if they're right in your zone, in your climate, then you can really have a quick um, cash flow. And then you can start and then you can once you're selling those, then you can really um, start to branch out to different colors and flowers. And the market for that is always, 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 always open. I mean, you can do small cart on Sunday after church. You can do small cart outside a grocery store. You can do outside of a community center. You can sign up to your local farmer's market. You can... um, Put your name out there for weddings. You can put your name out there for restaurants. Go into a restaurant and be like, here are some a free a free bouquet. Here's my card. These are my prices. How many restaurants are in a city or even a town? So it's something when it comes around spring, a lot of restaurants are changing their menus and they want flowers and you're that person. And so there's always a cash flow for it and never... Um, Never let anybody deter you from growing flowers based on because you're a farmer and you want to and you should be growing food. I hate that. I it's just the same as when uh, queer people are like, you can never leave the South because you have to do or die South, you know. And you know, no, <laughs> you're leaving if you want to leave, leave. <laughs> it's really bothersome. Anyways, and uh, and there's so much beauty and 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 visually pleasing for the eye. There's so many reasons to uh, love flowers and be into flowers, and people love color, and you really are adding beauty to the world. So don't let anybody ever say that. And um, so, what are we talking about? We've talked about chickens and we talk about flowers, and in this way, this is. This is how I'm dedicating this post to Chris Blanchard because I'm compacting his essential viewpoint after he got out of farming was how do I help other small farmers because you can get into a rut and be like, this doesn't make sense and I don't want to do it anymore. But he also looked at it from this point of view of, uh, which I always agreed upon, less competitiveness between farmers and really being open about what's working and um, and and what's working for you as a farm. When it comes to 
being around other farmers in the same area and competitiveness, I think that's more of along the lines of don't step on somebody's toes. And why would you want to do that anyhow? Because if somebody's being successful at something, um, you're going to want to pick something else because people are going to them. Um, and if you want to do the same thing that they're doing, you know, you have the right to do that in this uh, American democracy. <laughs> to be honest, when business is a free-for-all, I think um, it just comes down to the smarter decision uh, would be to do something different and uh, personally creative, that authenticity and that kind of, and really goes a long way. And... I'm putting these ideas out there for people to take and for you. And not, you know, these are just, uh, like, it's just a, it's just like a, a, a post-it note in a way. Your creative mind and your willingness to do, go the, go the extra mile with it and your, your touch and your flair will show. And that's also what people really appreciate. They really appreciate the little things, especially because going to, especially if you're at the farmer's market, people go there as an experience and as a, it's Saturday and it's sunny and, you know, let's take the kids to the farmer's market or honey, let's go to the farmer's market. I want to get just one thing. And then they go there and, you know, they end up leaving with a lot more and, uh, so it is an experience, so your extra touch to things really goes, really shows and goes the extra mile. Um, so I started this off wanting to talk about permaculture, and I totally went business with it. But I, it still makes sense because permaculture and business, um, I just think that they should be able to mix more. Um when we think about permaculture, we think about maybe more small gardening or kind of like an idealist thing, like you live on an intentional community and you're doing your permaculture and, you know, we uh, only dress in yellow on Wednesdays. And so, but permaculture is working with ecology and working with the natural environment. And so the more you read into it and get into it, um you can really you can really get closer to that the purpose of it is essentially recreating a natural environment that kind of bu- it's like building a it's building an ecosystem within an ecosystem so it's enhancing it and it's working with it and it's like telling the little birds you can stay in this hedge bush while this grows here and and so when I think from a business standpoint, you can add these little features to your farm, however lightly and however often, but have it on the back of your mind. And you'll find throughout the years that you're using less sprays, if you're using sprays at all, if you're using organic sprays or whatever, you're going to find that you're using, you're finding less pests and you're finding less uh, disease because you're building an ecosystem 
if you're that small plot in a city, you know, I invested in bees and some pollinator, pollinators over the years. You know, you're building, you're inviting good energy, you're inviting pollinators, you're invi- inviting birds that are eating insects, you're inviting uh, just different sort, different life forms that are going to help you instead of... Um, instead of um, bringing ne- negativity. When you think about spraying, that's, it's a quick solution to an immediate problem. And the more and more you're doing it, you're draining our soils, you're draining, but if you're thinking about just you, you're draining your, you're draining your farm, you're draining your plot of land, and you're taking away from, from it rather than giving it life. And so finding that balance and giving it life is going to bring more success and more productivity and more um, nurturing and and it's going to be better better for everyone and the birds and the bees. And so and talking about permaculture, um, I was reading this book in this, in this library and there's this picture and it showed a row by row um uh row by row uh a plot of land it was like uh well let's just say 10 rows and then on each side of the row would be a walking path but instead of uh do every other walking path would be you dig a trench you put a pond liner in and you put irrigation through the um and weave it through these trenches and then fill it with water, of course. And so essentially you're filling a tiny river system that's also serving as irrigation, that's also serving as a life source for frogs, turtles. You could add fish. You could add a pro- uh, well, let's not say product, but sure, why not? You could add tilapia as a harvest um as almost well, it's a crop in a way, but you could add tilapia fish and have tilapia in your, and then you could either put perennials or you could put your lettuce in these beds, and what you have is a low, eventually a low maintenance ecosystem that's bringing in life, that's eating the pests, and you're not having to. And you're not losing crop, and you're not losing money, and you're really adding to your soils, and you're adding to the life, and you're inviting these things. Um, and in my mind, I always picture growing perennials in this kind of bed because it's so low maintenance. I find you could essentially have this really lush uh, permac- permaculture plot of land that's taking care of itself like asparagus or uh, some other perennial um, that's kind of... Um, and then in between some rows, you could do perennial beneficial herbs or pollinators. Uh, a lot of pests don't like the way certain herbs smell. They don't like the way rosemary smells, so you can put in rosemary bushes and things like that. And so taking the kind of next step and having that discussion where permaculture meets business, and it's not an idealist way of thinking, 
it's more of a way of life or a way of understanding life and nature and you can apply it to everything you do and care and schooling and all of that you know you can come up with every sort of metaphor around it um when it comes to mixing when it comes to directly mixing business and permaculture it really it really it really makes um the most simplistic sense <laughs> of all ages can understand it i would i would want to invite something that brings balance and that brings life where we find uh uh too many pests it's the land has been depleted of uh it's been depleted of um it's natural cohabitants. So there's that and um I guess something that's always good to remember if you're on a larger piece of land, it's you're you're always gonna want to be rotating your crops and you wanna be rotating them um doing different crops or letting or letting a or letting a plot go to fallow, which means just rest, and you can rest it with sunflower seeds or cover crop, or you know, being like next year we're gonna put chickens here, and they're gonna poop on the soil, that kind of thing. So my brain power is depleting. If I had commercials, I would go to commercial break right now, but I'll be right back. I'm going to play that uh, thing. I hope you enjoyed that commercial and those words, and I'm going to end it here because I don't think anybody really has time of more than an hour to listen to a podcast. Um... My hopes is that if you didn't know who Chris Blanchard is, or was, excuse me, um, that now you do, and now you can look up his podcast that's still around, Farmer to Farmer. And this is really a shout-out to young people looking to start businesses, um, looking to get their hands dirty. Farming has a multitude of benefits, and just be smart about it if you're looking to do it. And um, it will really... give back to you as well, and, um, it's a very fulfilling, and, uh, if you're the person to do it, you should do it, and, um, thanks for listening, this is the grab bag, um, and, uh, I don't know what the next podcast will be, you'll have to stay tuned, uh, And I hope you all have a great day. Cheers.